Numbers 13 and 14. I'm going to read a bunch here, so I'm going to try to skip parts that we can skip and still kind of make sense of what's going on. Um, This is the promised land. They've made it, okay? And so I'm going to pick up in Numbers chapter 13, and I'm going to start in the first three verses, then we're going to skip to verse 17, read a while, jump into 14, okay? So just kind of follow along. I'll try to let you know where we're at. So Numbers 13, 1 is where we're going to start, okay? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent, from the, from, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. Now jump to verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor whether the tree, there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Labo Hamath. They went up to the Negev and came to Hebron and Ahaman and Sheshah and Talmah. The descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and they came to the valley of Eskal, and they cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That, that place was called the valley of Eskal because of the cluster of the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? 
And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us, do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting and all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Father in heaven, we ask for wisdom, God, as we look at this passage of Scripture. Father, we pray that you would help us to fear, that you would help us to fear unbelief, that you would help us to fear being cowardly. God, I pray that you would enable us to see with eyes of faith, to see your character and your word and your promises. God, I pray that in every situation we find ourselves in, God, I pray that those would be the big things, that those would be the things we're looking at, that those would be the things that determine uh, our decision, our will, our feelings, our emotions. Father, I pray that you would speak, God, today. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. So they're there. Right? Man, they've arrived. You know how that feels after you've been on a long journey, long road trip, and, uh, you know, sealing to Woodward is the longest 30 miles in the history of the world, right? You know how that is, and finally you arrive, you know? These guys have been in slavery, not them personally, but the people, for 400 years. Finally, the deliverer comes, brings them out of Egypt through the ten plagues, through the Red Sea, to Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments uh, into into the wilderness, they're fed by manna during the day and, 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 and water from the rock and led by the cloud and led by the fire and finally they arrive at the edge of the promised land and they send out a reconnaissance team. Now, one of the things that interested me was whose idea was this, right? So when you read 13.1, it seems like it was God's idea. It says the Lord said to Moses, send men to spy out the land. But actually when you jump over to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is Moses kind of retelling the story, reminding them kind of preaching a sermon on what happened. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse uh, 22, he says, Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again by the, by the way by which we must go and the cities by which we, we shall come. So evidently, the people came to Moses and said, Hey, 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 we, before we go in, we need a reconnaissance team. We need to go in, figure the deal out, see what's there, see the cities, see a good plan, develop a strategy. And so evidently, God, Moses took that to the Lord, and the Lord said, okay, do this, all right? So, so I, I don't know that that matters or not. I, I think a lot of people have questioned, was this a good idea? and Was this a bad idea? I, I think the answer to that question would depend on your motive, okay? If your motive in asking questions of the Lord and asking, you know, hey, hey, what's the plan here? If your motive is to try to find the best strategy to obey him, 
I think it's a good idea. If your motive is, hey, let's see what's there and then we'll decide whether we obey. A lot of people pray that way. That, that's a terrible idea. I don't know if you pray that way. Lord, what's your will here? And then like when he answers, then you decide whether or not you're going to obey it. That, that's a terrible plan. And so I, I don't know, it seems like their motive was bad, honestly. It seems like they were like, hey, let's, let's check this out before we go in. You know, we're not sure about it. Uh, but either way, it turned out disastrous. Um, they, they sent in 12 chiefs, 12 tribe leaders, okay, one, one guy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they go in and they all see the same thing, okay? So two groups of men, okay, there's 12 of them, 10 of them see uh, ten of them, one group, two in the other group. We're going to see that in just a second. But all 12 guys experience the same circumstances. They walk through the same cities. They interact with the same people. They travel the same roads. They view the same statistics. They have the same facts. And they come to drastically different conclusions. Okay? So Joshua and Caleb see all the same stuff that the other 10 spies see. And they come to a drastically different assessment of things, okay? So, so I, I think we can probably get that today. I don't know if you've ever been. I was on a mission team one time, and we had something happen to us. And, and man, there were like... There was a group that was like, okay, this is it. This is done. Let's, let's go, you know? And then there was another group that was like, this is the most exciting thing we've ever seen, you know? And, and it's like, so, so you understand that, right? Like there's, there's differing opinions on why, why is that? Well, in this case, there, there's a really good reason for why there are these drastically different opinions about what, what, people, what they should do, what Israel should do. And the reason is, is that Joshua and Caleb are seeing things through the eyes of faith, okay? Did you hear that? Joshua and Caleb are seeing things through the eyes of faith. In other words, everything that they look at, all the cities, all the Canaanites, all the giants, all the walls, all the fortifications, they're, they're looking at all of those things through the eyes, through the lens of what they know about God, of what they know about His Word, of what they know about His promises, right? So it's almost like God's promises, God's words, God's character is here. And, and Joshua and Caleb see everything through that lens. The other ten do not, all right? It's, it's really one of the interesting things of the Scriptures is to see people interact with circumstances through the lens of faith. I, I, I've always loved Philippians 1, okay? So, so you got a guy in Philippians 1, you got the Apostle Paul who's on death row, he's in prison, and he's facing probable execution, okay? How does a guy who's been unjustly incarcerated handle the reality that he's about to get his head chopped off, Right? Well, I mean, you would think there would be despair, there would be grumbling, there would be bitterness, there'd be unforgiveness, there'd be, you know, uh, despair, all right? And, and yet you read Philippians chapter 1. Let me pick up here in um, verse, uh, let, let's try verse 20. Um, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-breast between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. It's like Paul is talking about, should I have the pancakes or the waffles, you know? I 
I mean, really, like when you read that, like it's, I can't decide. I love both these, you know. If I get a stay, it means fruitful labor. I'll, I'll be able to preach the gospel. It'll be good for your faith. If I die, I go home. I'm with Christ. I mean, the guy's got two great options on his plate. How many death row inmates do you know where they're looking their circumstances like that? What's wrong with Paul? Is he crazy? No. He sees his circumstances through the eyes of faith. There's a great story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings where um, Elisha and his servant are camped out or a little cabin somewhere. And anyway, servant gets up early in the morning. It says in verse uh, 15, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the this, this city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those with us, those who are with us are more than those who are with him. And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. I mean, it's just great, like, like tangible experience of Elisha's servant walking out, seeing an army surrounding them, you know, crying out in despair, like, we're doomed, it's over, you know, what are we going to do? And, and Elisha's like, man, Lord, let him see what I see. Let him see through the lens of faith. And he sees the army of God, the army of, uh, of angels surrounding them, that those with them are more than those with it. So anyway, there, there's these examples, great examples in the Bible of different people seeing things differently because they're seeing through the eyes of faith, all right? So what, what did the 10 see, okay? So so the 10 spies that were not Joshua and Caleb. You can read their names. Uh, I, I didn't, but they're in, that's in 4 through uh, 16. But what did, the, what did the 10 see? Now remember, these are, these are not just like regular guys. These, these are leaders, okay? They're leaders of their tribe. These, these are men who came out of Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They ate manna from heaven, drank water from the rock. They've experienced everything that Joshua and Caleb have experienced since they've left Egypt. What, what, what do they see? What do they say? Well, look, look at chapter 13, verse 27. Let's pick up reading there. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent. It does flow with milk and honey. So there's one good thing. God was right. God told us it was a good land. He told us it flowed with milk and honey. God did not let us down. Okay, verse 28, here's where they go off the rails. However, people who dwell in the land are strong. Cities are fortified, very large. We saw the sins of Anak there. There's giants there. Uh, if you skip to verse 30, uh, they pick up again. Uh, no, 31, the men who had gone up said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. Uh, the cities are fortified. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. So their assessment is, we are incredibly small. They are incredibly large. We're nobodies. They're somebodies. We don't have any war stuff they got all kinds of war stuff and their conclusion is we are not able okay we're not able now joshua and caleb they see the same thing same canaanites same fortified cities same walled cities same nba size warriors okay same nations and they say in verse 30 let us go up at once immediately and occupy it so now like like it's like they're, they're literally saying everybody get your stuff let's go like, like, we can be there tonight. We can be in, we, we, can, we can take this thing. Two polar opposite conclusions because Caleb and Joshua viewed everything they saw through the eyes of faith. They viewed all their circumstances through the reality of who is God, what has he promised, what is his character, what is his nature, what is his plan. 
and it transformed the way that they saw everything. Uh, real quickly, I, I know we're reading this multiple times, but let, let's go one more, one more time. Notice what is missing in the report of the 10 spies, okay? So let, let, me, let me just quickly buzz through this again. So 28, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, okay? What do, they, what, what do they see? People, cities, giants, okay? People, cities, giants, okay? So let's uh, skip to 31. Um, we're not able to go up against people. They're stronger than we are. Uh, the land devours, this is like 32, the land devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw are of great height. Um, I don't, there it is again. You've got tall people in the Bible. I, I, I mean, I don't want to make more of this than's there, but man, Saul, Goliath, short people seem to be the heroes. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, you laugh, but it's, it's just everywhere. Zacchaeus, I mean... I don't know. Anyway, uh, 33, we saw the Nephilim. That's the giants. Um, we seem like grasshoppers. You, you know what's missing? What, what's missing? God. Not a mention of God. Not a mention of what God has promised to do. Not a mention of what God has said. Not a mention of God's power. Not a mention of, of, of Egypt. Not a mention of what they'd just seen coming out of, the, uh, of Egypt. Not a mention of the plagues. Not a mention of the Red Sea. Not a mention of any of that. God is completely left out. He's not a factor in their assessment, in their emotions, in how they feel about the prospect of taking the promised land. God is not a factor in their confidence. He's not a factor in their obedience. The only thing that matters to them is the description of the enemy and their own assessment of themselves. Friends, do not live your life that way. Don't buy a house that way. Don't make a decision about a school that way. Don't raise your kids that way. Don't, don't live your life leaving God completely out of the picture. Please realize that's easy to do. Where you're, you're just functioning by what you see with your eyes. Now, note, let's, let's go back. Notice what Caleb and Joshua see, okay? So, so look at Numbers 14. Okay, let's, let's read Numbers 14, 8 and 9. Here's Caleb and Joshua's case for why we can do it. Let's go. Verse 8. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Notice what's missing from their assessment. They don't mention the cities. They don't mention the fortifications. They don't mention the army. They don't mention the weaponry. They don't mention the size. What, what do they mention? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, Right? If the Lord is with us, if the Lord delights in us, don't rebel against the Lord. You see, the only thing that matters to Joshua and Caleb is what has God said? What has God told us to do? What has God done in the past? What do we know about God? You see, the, the things they're asking is, how is our relationship to the Lord? We don't want to live in rebellion. We don't want to make a decision here that is going to dishonor him. 
that's going to be not trusting him. And I, I think the questions you ask yourself are incredibly important when you make a decision. Now, what are you asking yourself? What, what, what kind of things do you intentionally look at? What, what, what do you set your mind on to determine whether you should do something or not? You see, their whole focus is not the Canaanites at all. It, their, their whole focus is what has God said and what has God done. Now, what are the results? Okay, let's, let's look at both sides of this. What are the results of living like the ten? Okay, the, the ten spies that didn't consider God, left him completely out of the picture. What, what are the results of leaving God out? Okay, what are, what are the results of that? All right, so, so I, I would say several things that are pretty scary. Number one, what I would call the grumble, despair, quit cycle. Okay, did you hear that? Grumble, despair, quit. Okay, so you find that in chapter 14. Actually, we found it over and over and over and over and over again since we started this series, okay? Uh, when, when they were at the Red Sea, when they, actually before that, in the plagues, when Pharaoh didn't let them go right away, when they were at the Red Sea, when they were in the wilderness without food, when they were in the wilderness without water, uh, when Moses went up on the, onto the Mount Sinai and didn't come down for 40 days. I mean, they, they hit this cycle over, 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 and over again. And I think probably it's going to be familiar to you as well. All right, so here's chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us up into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back. Okay, so you have grumble, you have despair, and finally that leads to quit. Uh, again, we've seen this over and over and over again. I, I think what would be really helpful for us is a couple things. Number one, watch your grumbling. I, I, I'm not just saying be careful not to grumble. I'm just saying when you grumble, like be, be mindful of what's going on in your heart when you grumble. What's going on in your faith, in your trust? What kind of things are you looking at? What kind of things are you asking? I mean, I think, I think anytime you find yourself grumbling, I think you ought to first of all ask, okay, am I looking at the right things? Like obviously something's making you grumble, right? Somebody, right? Some situation, some, some pressing thing in your life, some hard thing. It's almost always a hard thing, right? Some difficult thing, some obstacle. So when, when you find yourself grumbling, ask yourself, okay, what am I looking at? What am I not looking at that I ought to be looking at? And then be careful of the grumbling leading to despair and the despair leading to quit. I can't tell you how many people in this cycle I have seen give up on serving the Lord, give up on gathering with God's people, give up on their small group, give up on purity, give up on forgiveness, give up on reconciliation. Some people give up on life. It's a grumble, despair, give up. And be, be really careful of that in your life because it says something profound about what you value. Okay, did, did, did you notice I've got this squared off in my Bible here? In, in verse 3 of chapter 14 of Numbers, it says, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better? I have that word better, squared. First of all, it occurs a bunch in Hebrews 11. It's a word that deals with your value. It's a word that deals with what you, what you trust in, okay? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? What, what are they saying? 
They're, they're saying a life of slavery is better than following God. They're saying an easy life is better than the hardships of being God's people. Be careful of that word better. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of folks that would say, I, it's better for me to be angry and hold a grudge than it is to trust God to bring justice. It's, it's better for me to have this little bit of pleasure than to deny myself. They're saying the pleasures of this life are better than the pleasures of God. Be careful of that grumble, despair, quit cycle. Okay, Number two, being like the ten spies who left God completely out of the equation leads to cowardice. It leads to cowardice. Now, you, you may be thinking, well, is that all that bad? You know, maybe I'm not naturally brave. What's the big deal? Uh, it is kind of a big deal, actually. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You know, I think, I think a lot of people read that and they're like, okay, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, you know, we... we we, we're, we're all thumbs up with that. But then, then when he throws in all liars, we get a little nervous. But how many of you caught the first one? The cowardly. What, why is cowardly worthy of hell? Well, it's worthy of hell because of what you're looking at and what you're valuing. And what's important to you. You see the ten spies were afraid of what? They were afraid of Canaanites, armies, walled cities, and superior weaponry. What, what does that signal? That signals what, what's a big deal to you. I, I think it's kind of a cool exercise to think about what, what, what are you afraid of? Like what keeps coming up in your life? What, what fears keep kind of dogging you? What, whatever that is, that, that, that has, a, has a pointer to what the big deal in your life is. So... So in other words, if you have a lot of trepidation over money, uh, if you have a lot of uh, fears over your security, your financial security, that, that, that's an arrow pointing at what's a big deal to you. Okay, what's a big thing in your life? If you're, if you're terrified of being humiliated, like, like the, the worst thing in the world to you is for people to find out that you're something that you're not or for you to be embarrassed or for you to, you know, lose face. Well, that, that's, a, that's an arrow pointing right at whatever's a big deal to you. You see, so fear signals what's a big deal, right? And, and so in this case, what's a big deal to the 10? Well, Canaanites and armies, and right? What's a big deal to Joshua and Caleb? God, right? Like what you fear is, is pointing at what's a big deal to you, what's huge in your life. And, and so if, if you're never really afraid of dishonoring God, if you're never afraid of disappointing God, if you're never afraid of unbelief, we'll get back to this at the end. I mean, that's, that's a dangerous thing. So number one, it leads to Grumble, despair, quit. Number two, it leads to cowardice, being afraid of the wrong things. And number three, you dishearten other people, okay? 
I want to take you back over to Deuteronomy as, as Moses recounts the story. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, listen, listen to what he says. He says, where, where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we are. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakin there. Okay, now, what, what, is, what does Moses remember? When he's telling the story, he, he remembers how those ten guys, literally, here's what he said, made our hearts melt. You see, the way that you see the world is the way that you're going to talk about the world. And when you leave God out of the way that you see the world and the way that you talk about the world, you, you discourage people. Man, if, if your talk is all about what other people think and whether you have enough money and not getting sick and the size of the obstacles and um, the weaknesses of others, and man, if, if, you, if your talk just leaves God out of the equation, if, if all your, your, your talk is about how insurmountable problems are, if you're one of the skeet shooters, we've talked about them before, right? Like, like people offer up encouragement and you just blow it out of the sky, you know, because it's all bad. Wow, you are discouraging. You're spreading your distorted way of looking at the world to the people around you. Stop doing that. Man, I'm telling you, this is one of the things you can pass on to your children that I don't want you to pass on. I don't think you want to pass this on to your children. Don't, don't pass on to your children a way of looking at the world that leaves God out of it. And you have a way of melting people's hearts. You have a way of, people, people want to be courageous for the Lord, and you have a way of melting their courage. Because you're bringing up all the bad stuff without bringing up God. So, so those are the results of seeing the world without faith. Now, what are the results of seeing the world in faith, okay? So Joshua and Caleb, what are the results of seeing the world, seeing your circumstances, any obstacle in front of you, seeing that through the lens of God's character, God's word, God's promises, God's truth? What, what are the implications of that? Well, it's kind of the opposite. So the implications of that are confidence and courage. I love in 1330, uh, Joshua and Caleb's response, let us go up at once and occupy it. We are well able to overcome it. I mean, there's this enthusiastic confidence that says, let's go. Whatever God has called us to do. If God has called us to the mission, let's go. If God's called us to witness to our neighbors, let's go. If God's called us to serve in children's ministry, let's go. He, they're enthusiastically, confidently, courageously going. If the Lord says, go and pray and claim the gospel, then should you fear because it's not, you're not a great public speaker or, or your, your, your gut gets tied up in knots or, or there's possibility of conflict and rejection? No. Like, like seeing things through the eyes of faith gives you boldness. If the Lord says give, you should not fear the what-ifs of a COVID economy. If the Lord says grow, you should not fear the what-ifs of, of what, what might happen if you take this step or if you jump out in this leap. I, I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love his definition of fear. I got this from Tim Keller. He says, faith is a refusal to panic. Uh, man, I just think that's a super practical definition of, of, of faith. Faith is a refusal to panic. In other words, faith stops and considers, like anytime you hit this obstacle, anytime you hit this insurmountable thing, or anytime you hit this, what, what, this hard thing in your life, 
What faith does is it refuses to panic and it forces itself to consider the character of God, the word of God, the, what God has said, what, he, what he's going to do, what we know about him. And it reasons with faith. Moses is doing this in Deuteronomy 1 when he talks about this story. Listen to what he says. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God goes before you. He himself will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe. Do you see how Moses, see how he reasoned with him? He's like, guys, don't, don't you remember what God has done? Don't you remember how God has, has delivered us in the past? Don't you remember how he's been carrying us just like a dad carries his boy? Paul actually does the exact same thing in Romans 8 in view of the cross. Listen, listen to Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I know that's kind of a confusing sentence, but basically Paul's, Paul's reasoning. He's saying, all right, look, look at what God's already done. If, if God has given you his son, his son, if God has, has, has given you the most precious and glorious and valuable thing in the universe, he's already done that, He's already said, this is how important it is that you be attached to me, that, that you be forgiven, that you be righteous with my right. This, this, this is what I'm willing to do. Then why, why would you reason and say, well, my financial problem is just too big for God. Or this, this weakness of mine just overcomes the ability for me to go forward. In other words, if God's done the huge thing, then why won't he do this next thing? Hadn't he proved himself? That's exactly the way Moses reasons. That's exactly the way Paul reasons. That's the way you ought to reason. I ought to reason in faith. So, so number one, living, living by seeing things through the eyes of faith gives confidence and courage. Number two, you actually begin to possess things by faith. Okay? Now, I, I want to point out a little subtlety here in uh, Numbers 13.30. Okay, Numbers 1330, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Do you see the word occupy? Some, some translations translate it possess. Let's go, let's go have it. Let's go, let's go settle in is essentially what he's saying. In chapter 14 and verse 9, he says, they are bread for us. Okay, you know, here's what I see there. It's a done deal in Caleb's, Caleb's mind. Does that make sense? Like, they already have the land in his mind. Like, he's so confident in God that he's like, let's go up and let's take what God has given to us. Like, he's already, he's already given it. Let's go possess it. He's not saying, hey, you know what? I don't care if I die. Grab your swords. Let's go see if we can win this battle. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, let's go up and, and take it. And here's what I see, guys. You can actually possess, you can actually own things in the future, right now, through faith. Okay, let, let, me, let me try to prove that to you. In Hebrews chapter 11, let, let me first of all read a definition of faith and then give an example of faith. So 
Chapter 11, verse 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So what, what does that mean? It means the thing that you're hoping for. What are you hoping for? I'll, I'll tell you, let, let's just use an easy one. I'm, I'm hoping for a glorious eternity in heaven, okay? With Jesus Christ in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth with no sin, beauty of perfect relationships and adventure forever. I'm hoping in that, Okay? Now, verse 1 says, faith is the assurance. So faith is the mechanism that makes that thing sure for me. Assurance means like, I I know it's mine. I have it, right? I possess it. Even if if I don't have it with me right now, I I still have it. I'm assured of it. Assurance is, is the, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I am convinced of it, even though I do not presently see it. Give an example of this in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 13 says, uh, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Okay, so he's, he's talking about guys like Abraham who, who never actually possessed the promised land as a nation, even though God had promised it to him. But what do you do? He saw it by faith. Like he had it. Like like faith enables you to possess things. All right? To be so sure of them that in your mind it's already done. Man, how how valuable is that in living in facing obstacles? Okay. So what happens? Well, quickly, we got to wrap up. I took a big chunk today, but I, I feel like getting this story in one shot is, is, is helpful. So, so God's going to wipe them out, <laughs> right? That's kind of where we ended our reading, okay? Uh, the part that we didn't get to, uh, that we're not going to spend much time on, but let me tell you what happens. In Numbers 14, 13 through 19, Moses intercedes. Have we ever seen that before? Uh, we've seen that every week, have we not? What a beautiful picture of Jesus' intercession for us. Moses intercedes for them. Guess how he intercedes? Same way he's been doing it, by God's name and God's fame, okay? So whenever Moses comes to God on behalf of the people, he comes to God not saying, hey, these Israelites are really great people. God, you just don't know them like I know them. And, and, you know, they they really do believe in you. They just had a bad day. They've had some acid reflux. They're kind of cranky. They've not been sleeping well. You know, he he doesn't make a bunch of excuses and how they really know. He he admits, God, these people are rebellious, broken sinners. But, God, your name is attached to them. And God, we, I can't stand for you not to get glory. I can't stand for those Egyptians to be, to be mocking your power and your glory. So Moses always intercedes by God's name and God's fame. So God's fame, and then, then later he does by his name. If you'll notice in verse uh, like uh, 18, he said, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. He says, God, this is the kind of God you are. God, these people are wretches. But God, you're so glorious in mercy and goodness. So Moses intercedes. God pardons Israel as a people, but there are consequences. What are the consequences? The consequences are the older generation will not go in the promised land. Let me read you a little bit of that. He says in uh, verse uh, 29, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward. 
who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore, and I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephna and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones who you said would be prey, I will bring them in. They shall know the land that, that the, you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days which you have spent, spied out the land, forty days a year for each day, you shall, shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Consequences. Real consequences for not trusting God. Now, I want to finish by reading for you a passage out of Hebrews. Um, the writer of Hebrews goes back to this story and then has a specific implication for us, Okay? So I'm going to start in Hebrews 3.16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Did everybody, did everybody see that? Let us fear. There's a whole lot of times in the Bible where it tells you not to fear, okay? When you're facing Canaanites and walled cities, you are commanded not to fear that, but rather to fear God. But in this instance, it tells you, you should fear something here, okay? We'll talk about it in a second. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But because they, were not, because they were not united by faith with those who listened, we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. I, I am all about the perseverance of the saints. I, I believe that every genuine believer will make it all the way to glory. And I think they will make it because of the sovereign providence and plan of God. Okay? But that does not mean that I think you should take assurance lightly. It, it does not mean uh, some have misunderstood that doctrine. Some have, some have hear, heard that doctrine and said, okay, so what that means is I can, I can slack off in my Christian life. I can be disobedient to God. I, I can just say, well, you know what, God? I, I'll take this part of Christianity. I'll take the heaven. I'll take the forgiveness. But you know this other part, this missional part, this evangelism part, this plan of God part, this suffering part, this hardship part. You know, I'm just rejecting that. But I, but I know one saved, always saved. So I'm going to heaven. That is not in the Bible. The Bible in passages like this says, you ought to fear unbelief. You ought to be afraid of that. You ought to be afraid of looking at your life and seeing unbelief. He says, good news was preached to them just like to us. Their good news was, man, God's delivering you out of slavery, out of Egypt. And to the promised land. He's given it to you. Our good news. Jesus has come. And he has lived the perfect life on your behalf. And died for your sins. And he's given you life. Good news to them. Good news to us. But the question is. Do you believe that? And you answer that with your life. Do you not? You answer that in these situations. 
where, where you're facing something God has told you, I, I'm, I'm giving this to you. I'm sending you here. You're to go forward. I will be with you. And whether or not you believe or not believe says a lot about your heart. I don't believe we should ever doubt God's ability to hold us. I don't think we should ever doubt that God will not do everything he said he would do. Uh, please don't hear me say that I, I, I genuinely believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe if you're his, I think God's going to take you all the way. I think everybody who's truly his, he's going to take all the way. But I think you show whether you are his by your faith. And your faith is shown in situations like this by your obedience. So how do you see the world? How do you see your circumstances? How do you see hardship? Man, I, I want you to think back to the last like whammo in your life. Like how did you look at that? Did you look at it through the eyes of faith or did you, did you look at it completely separate from God? And I think your life will be drastically different based on how you see those things. Father, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this good news of great joy in our Savior Jesus coming and, and living the perfect life, coming to be uh, the perfect man and, and then dying a brutal death on the cross on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we're in wonder of you. And Father, we, uh, we ask you today, God, to help us to believe. Help us to see life through the lens of faith. Father, help us to possess things to come, to have them now, to taste them and savor them through faith. Father, give us faith. God, help us to fear unbelief in our lives more than we fear anything else. In Jesus' name, amen.